1.9 trillion. Let me tell you why that number is important, 1.9. That is the amount that has been proposed by the Biden administration for their upcoming stimulus package. And with all of the branches of government basically controlled by the Democrats, it seems relatively easy for them to be able to push a package that they want through. Now, why is that relevant for the economy and, more importantly, the market, what we discuss here on this program? Well, $1.9 trillion is, is a substantially large number. We've heard uh, people like Steve Mnuchin, as well as Janet Yellen, which I'll talk about here in just a second, floating the idea of larger debt instruments, maybe a 50-year bond, which has never been heard of, to take advantage of low interest rates. But more importantly, it's really the fundamentals of what the Biden administration may be targeting that could be the ultimate benefactor in the market. So our colleagues over at GAR Capital, they came up with a a term that that I want to go over today, which is batteries, bedding, and blends. So that's kind of the theme that they're looking at going into 2021. So batteries being the EV play, uh, betting being online gambling, and blunts obviously being um, marijuana. Now, we haven't been big favoritisms in the marijuana space, but I just want to kind of go around some of the potential policies in the Biden administration on why that that three-prong approach may be something at least to, to look at in an individual portfolio. So EV, electric vehicles. So these have really been on a tear, not just Tesla, but companies like uh, NEO and uh, companies like Plug have all really been on fire. Um, And it's based off of this fundamental change in strategy uh, from not only an automaker standpoint, but also a green standpoint as we try to address the challenges of climate change. So you could see a Biden administration really pushing more towards maybe not the Green New Deal, but maybe a variation of that Green New Deal, and that could potentially benefit that sector. The next one, which is really kind of a bet that the struggling states due to what's happened from COVID are going to continue on finding ways to produce revenue. So that's online gambling. Uh, we know how successful here gambling's been to building the city of Las Vegas, but other states have looked at that model over the last five to seven years and said, wait a minute, why can't we get a little piece of this action and start implementing that? And you've seen some states do that. But if you're sitting on the other side of this conversation and you do think that states aren't going to look to attract revenue uh, in some kind of a way, then you're just wrong. And that may be a easy avenue for states to try and garner up extra revenue, which is online gambling. And as the sports world comes back into full circle, maybe towards the end of this year and definitely into 2022 with all things being constant, then that online gambling play could be a big benefactor. Now, in addition to that is the last one, which is uh, medical marijuana. And that is also a play on maybe different policies of states legalizing marijuana uh, fully, which there are a handful of states that still have not done that. And you could see them tackling that from a revenue standpoint. So I think both of the, the last two plays may be something on the aspect of state administrations trying to find excess dollars, but definitely uh, on that EV play, maybe more of a Biden administration trying to go more into greener policies that could lead to those three sectors at least um, potentially flourishing this year, maybe even beyond. 
And that brings me to Janet Yellen, right? So she she says years of low interest rates, and what really took the market by shock was her act big. And what she was talking about act big is create jobs. And if we get some of these things that are uh, you know, an increase to maybe the minimum wage, you would potentially see more people wanting to get back into the job market if that minimum wage was a little bit higher. So we think that some of those policies that could be coming from a new Biden administration could be accretive to some of those sectors. And that could give the bulls in this market a home field advantage, right? Kind of like Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. So um, that's kind of the, the little bit of news recap. You know, we're really excited here at Wayland Financial today. Uh, we just got the letter today from the Securities Exchange Commission, uh, or the SEC, as we are officially a registered investment advisory firm. Uh, we couldn't be more excited, and we're going to kind of get into that 2021 vision on what it means not only to me, but also our clients on being a registered investment advisory firm and how we think that's going to really shape the financial landscape of investment and financial advice over the next decade. And as the CEO of a company, it's my job to put our business in the best position to not only take care of our clients, but also make sure that we have a competitive advantage over the next five and 10 years. So let's get right into it. Jim, hit the music. Check, check, mic check. Mic check, mic check. check. Welcome to Making Sense of Wealth with Andrew Whalen, your personal CFO. The show where we break down complex financial topics and market events into investor-friendly concepts so that you can make better informed decisions about your financial future. Because if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. I want to start out by reflecting on 2020, right? It's, it's been, it was a year of change. And with 2020 was a year of change, not only for the world, but also businesses. And, and ours specifically, you know, it, it had me pondering a lot of different questions with regards to the ways to efficiently operate, the ways that we can still stay in contact with our clients, the ways that we can, you know, manage different portfolio structures at an optimized way that can deliver value. And we saw a lot of changes in our firm. So if we would see you on a quarterly basis, maybe we only saw you um, one time in the beginning of that first quarter, and then everything else went virtual. And what I learned from, from that was being flexible and fluid is optimal to business success as well as, uh, which inevitably leads to the, the clients. And at the end of the day, what we implemented was obviously more virtual meetings, just like every other company. But what I noticed was clients would sometimes actually prefer you know, staying at home in their pajamas, sipping a glass of Pinot Noir to talk about the markets versus actually physically coming into the office. So this kind of started sparking my ideas of becoming a registered investment advisory firm. And then I started thinking about some of the changes that have happened in this industry. So, you know, there, what we've been associated with for, for the longest time is, is the broker-dealer space. And the broker-dealer space basically takes the onus of, of any kind of fiduciary standard and places it on the broker-dealer, but not, not necessarily the advisor. And we wanted to make sure that it was very clear that everything that we did for our clients was uh, purchasing or selling different uh, uh, stocks or securities was on our account had to be in their best interest and that the buck stops with us. Um, so we decided to roll out a registered investment advisory firm 
And like I said, we just got the letter today. So today's our first official day, January the 19th, and we, we couldn't be more excited. And so in the, in the, the registered investment advisory space, it's required by law to ensure that any investment recommendation is suitable based on the client's profile. And you would think that that's how it's supposed to be in, 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 in every financial relationship, but it's not really. And a lot of people don't know this, um, but, you know, being an RIA holds us to a higher legal responsibility. And that's something that I was really looking forward to because we want to be able to distinguish ourselves from everybody else in the way that we not only manage money, but also facilitate investment ideas and grow client relationships. And with that higher legal responsibility, the fiduciary, which is, which is us, Wayland Financial, has an obligation to the clients. And the investment advice must not only be suitable, but it also has to be in the client's best interest. And I think that that's where that gets lost in translation. And I grew up in this industry, and I grew up around what the broker-dealer environment was. And um, you know, I always felt like there was gaps in the ability to tailor advice and and provide that advice in a in a streamlined manner. And there's a difference between investment recommendation that is suitable versus one that is in the client's best interest. And that's what I was excited about, which was looking at not only the singular version of that, but also the dual version of that. And if I if I gave you an example that that would would you know kind of drive that thesis, it would be, hey, if we thought it was in the best interest for this specific client to own 100% of Tesla for a specific period of time, um, that may cause problems if there is a suitability standard that is brought down from a top level down. Um, and this kind of gets back to you know the the three main prongs of why we developed the RIA. So the first one is that fiduciary standard and suitability, and then lastly is is technology and. When I try to craft Wayland Financial, it's all about what that client experience is like from the moment that they walk in the office to the moment that they sit down with me or another advisor at our firm to what they touch, what the deliverables are, to when they leave the office, to the first point of contact that they see as soon as they're gone. Um, and crafting that client experience in a way that is forward looking. So underneath the, you know, uh, the, the traditional models, you know, you're really tied to what technology those individual firms offer. Instead of kind of looking out in the open marketplace and saying, hey, let's build out our own client portal. Let's build out our own type of communication system that we can contact our clients in a streamlined manner. So that was really big for me. You know, I grew up um, like I said, in this industry and having the ability to deliver advice in a streamlined manner through a technology system that we owned and we could create and had our name on it uh, is something very meaningful. And I think that taking ownership of that and pushing that envelope to be able to deliver that top quality service was something that was attractive to us that we've thought about for a decent number of time. And much like everybody else in 2020, things have changed and it opened my eyes to ways that we could do business to better serve our clients. And I would hope that anyone listening to this that deals with a financial advisor or a wealth advisor or an investment consultant, um, definitely ask them, what is your fiduciary standard? How do I 
I know what advice I'm getting from you serves my best interest and not your best interest first. So I, I would I would argue you to, to definitely ask that question to anybody that you sit on the opposite side of the table um, and you're getting advice from. And that's how it should be, right? Uh, anything that uh, has to do with the hard-earned money that, that you're working for or you've worked for, um, and you're coming to a professional to ask about specific questions that can really affect not only your life, but your spouse's life and your children's life and generations after that, should be held at a standard that is your best interest is always put first. Um, and then that kind of gets to what's my why, um, and I've, I've, I've pondered this over, you know, a long period of time about what my why is, you know, uh, you know, Andrew, why have you done this? Why are you doing it now? But at the end of the day, what I care about is making decisions that benefit a greater number of people. It is a privilege. It's a high privilege that we have every single day. Uh, to be put in this position, to be able to make decisions that benefit a greater number of people. And when I make decisions for myself and for the staff, I'm sharp enough. But when I make decisions for you, as well as me and our firm, that's when I am twice as careful, twice as focused, because I cannot live with losing somebody else's money. That's my why. And that's exactly why we became a registered investment advisory firm. So now we have the freedom and the control to ensure that deliverance of service, to ensure the ability and the fluidity to deliver what is best for our clients. Now, our team, we're we're excited about some of the changes that are going to be coming because what I noticed from a firm level is that we need to start adding portfolio management structure. And being a registered investment advisory firm and having control of the 100 plus million assets that we're privileged to advise is the ability to be all mindful on the market at all times. So we brought in an investment analyst. Um, He'll be joining our firm in about two weeks. And the goal of that is to really create and tailor three core portfolio models for our advisory clients. And you know, constructing these portfolios over the next 60 days is something that we've tasked ourselves with, um, that we can be mindful of opportunities in specific sectors and markets and tailor those to the amount of risk that our clients want to be taking. So what we know, um, what we're known for is, you know, our stock selection. And we pride ourselves in that. So by adding that investment analyst and portfolio manager to the team uh, is going to add and shore up that portion of our company that's going to be able to provide a tremendous amount of benefit, as well as analytical analysis to our existing portfolio to be able to tailor it and tweak it to provide the best investment results that we can to our client. When we look at the overall structure of freedom and independence, and control over what we can deliver to our clients, it's important not to forget the ability to deliver that advice in a way that has nothing between ourselves and the clients. And that is another big reason why we decided to to launch the registered investment advisory firm. So we couldn't be more excited. Um, We will be, you know, transferring uh, and changing custodians over the next, let's say, 30 days. And we look forward to the opportunities that we can bring to our clients that we were 
kind of hamstrung before in the in the inability to deliver specific services to those clients um, just because of the options that we had or didn't have prior. Um, like I said, we couldn't be more excited. We're excited to deliver that 2020 new vision of Wayland Financial and hopefully see everybody you know, in the office, hope maybe by the end of this year, but definitely in 2022 is if everything you know goes according to plan. And we couldn't be more excited that we have the opportunity to serve the great clients that we have and deliver a new model of service that exceeds expectations. So with that said, we look forward to 2021. We're going to be putting out a tremendous amount of content. We're going to be launching our new client portal at the end of February. So be on a watch for the um, the presentations that we have on showing what that client portal experience is going to look and feel like, as well as uh, new educational events that we're going to be putting on to make sure that you stay educated on everything that has to do with not only your portfolio, but the markets as well as the economy. So with that said, hope everybody has a great 2021 and we're here if you need us. All opinions expressed by Andrew Whalen, employees at Whalen Financial, or any other podcast guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Whalen Financial. Whalen Financial is a registered investment advisor. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Wayland Financial may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.